Hello and welcome to Lost Kings Fan. We are a uh, nerd-driven podcast. Primarily we've been talking about uh, One Piece. I'm AJ. I am the host. And with me are my co-hosts. Nathan. And I'm Austin. Last episode, we talked about the beginning of One Piece, and we talked about our favorite characters, um, and we kind of, we led up to the point of the Grand Line, which had been introduced as this big, all-encompassing strait across the ocean. And we'll be talking about the next big overarching arc which is basically everything from um, what is called Reverse Mountain to the end of Alabasta. So that's a lot, but uh, we'll, we'll just go basic overview. So that the audience is aware, uh, Austin is anti-Alabasta, Nathan is very pro-Alabasta arc, and I'm somewhere in the middle. So this should be a very interesting discussion. <laughs> it's not my fault that it's bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. It really isn't bad. Um, but uh, we'll get to that. Nathan, did you want to start us out? You had some talking points. I do have a couple of talking points. So I'm just going to start with my... Um, it's not a rebuttal. What's the what's the legal term? What's the argumentative term here I'm looking for? Your I'm make, statement? Yeah, I'm going to make my case. Um, <laughs> there's, like a, there's like a thing for it, and I don't remember what that's called. But so I the reason why I think Alabaster is a very good Alabaster is a very good story arc in One Piece is because of the world building it does. Over the course of a hundred and twenty-five episodes. Does that feel right to you guys? It's a big chunk I mean, of time. It feels like an eternity when you're watching it, does. it. So yeah, I would agree with that. I don't I don't think eternity is fair because it's a pleasant and joyful ride, Austin. <laughs> um See, but yeah, it starts from episode 62 and goes from uh, Alabasta. It'd be at least 100, right? Because um, IPS starts in the 200s. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, it is from episode 62 to episode. Um, 135. Wow. Yeah, so like 80 episodes. Give or take a little bit. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. You know what? I still feel good about that. So, in the course of 80 episodes, they cover so much ground exploring the world. In the first, like, 10 to 20 episodes, they cover the entrance into the Grand Line, do some backstory to explain how recently people have been able to truly traverse the Grand Line, and how unprecedented Gold Roger's like adventure to the end of the Grand Line was. In 10 episodes, they're able to paint that huge picture and then also describe the idea of how people traverse this item, uh, this, this like unique land mass, this unique, um, no, what's geologic occurrence, geological occurrence. And they also cover how each island is unique and it gives the story writers this ability to constantly create a new and ever-evolving world however they want while still building the the characters that they want over the course of time. And Alabaster does such a good job jumping off and showing that because from Alabaster, you traverse the rest of the Grand Line. And by the time you get to the caught-up parts of the show, it feels like you've watched three different shows with all the same characters just traversing through this world. So it does a really good job of of showing that and opening up the world and giving you the opportunity to see that. Um, Alabasta also introduces really unique parts of the like government system and the world balance, the world powers balance. And on top of all of that, it opens up this mystery called the Poneglyphs that you are still exploring. Even you, AJ, are still exploring some of the mysteries of the Poneglyphs now, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, I'm current with the manga, thousands of chapters, almost a thousand episodes in, and we only kind of know what they are for. And it's, the mystery is always interesting. 
And yeah, it's very much, it's one of the big things that I'm the most interested in finding the resolution of, is what's their whole deal? And uh, can you give a quick explanation of what we are introduced to them as? Because I honestly do not remember what those are. So, so um, go ahead. No, I, I spent a lot of time talking. I'll let you go ahead and cover that. Okay. Um, Aponoglyph is basically um, a giant stone tablet that is probably about three people tall and about four people wide. Um, and they have a language inscribed on them that very few people can read, um, but they tell the history of the world. Um, there is a period of a hundred years that nobody knows anything about. The government, the world government is keeping it a secret. Like they, they have basically, uh, they slaughter anybody that tries to dig into this. Um, we'll dig into that way later here, but, um, like the biggest, like overview aponoglyph, um, is just a giant stone tablet that has either historical information or plans for how to revive certain weapons or um, the locations of certain like planet destroying weapons um, and so they're very important for a character that gets introduced into the story um, called Nico Robin um, because they are her whole um, like her whole reason for existing okay. Yeah, the other really big thing that um, Alabaster the does as far as far as the world building that they do that is so unique to the Alabaster story arc that none of the other arcs can claim is the mass introduction of characters that are lasting standing pieces in the show, <laughs> and um, that's mostly just because that was the time that they really wanted to dig in. Like, obviously you've got your opening story arcs where you explore each of the five original crew members and get to explore all that. But once you enter into the grand line, you're introduced to Tony, Tony chopper, the doctor, a beautiful <laughs> little reindeer Zoan type, uh, <laughs> devil fruit user who is honestly one of the best parts of the show sometimes because he brings levity and also a, a, a genuine, sincerity and innocence to the show that like a lot of shows that try to do as much world building as one piece does kind of loses um that chopper and like usopp and them are able to create but that is mostly found in chopper as, as the show continues onward and then nico robin also joins the crew and she has such a fun transformation from this mysterious figure at the beginning of the Alabasta arc to just a random stowaway on the ship to a crewmate. The Game two mode. other, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> a very good way of describing it. Team um, mom, you said. Yeah, team mom. Yeah, I I just got to uh, a further part where um, she she ta has a conversation with Frankie after he's done some pretty big character changes. And she's just like, you know what? You're a very interesting man, and you've always been that way. And he's like, I'm great now. I'm amazing. And she's like, no, you are. I mean, you've always been you, so I guess, you know. Huh. Uh, um, I, could, I could spend this whole hour talking about how great Robin is later on. Yes. Um, but we are missing an important character that is introduced at the beginning. Vivi. Vivi, Nefertari, and also Ace, Luffy's brother, are all introduced, and Crocodile are all introduced that become major long-standing characters. Well, I guess Crocodile doesn't really do that, and Vivi is mostly just a talking point, but these are all characters who are introduced, and it's a very fun way of bringing in these side characters that you talk about, you you keep in the show as a part of world-building the, the show. I'm just realizing I've been spelling Poneglyphs wrong. That's fun. Uh, but it's a really fun way. The, the show does a really good and fun world-building series of events through the Alabasta story arc mm -hmm. that you otherwise wouldn't see. Um, so that's like the big reason why I'll always vote for it. And I've got some more talking points about that from start to end. But I do kind of want to just hear what Austin has to say as to why he doesn't like it, because I've laid out this very good answer and um, bring it on. Okay, so 
the reason why I just absolutely despise the Alabasta arc is it one like they immediately throw you into this this world that is that is so much fun because you're like oh yeah pirates like Luffy is rad everyone is good except for Usopp but we'll get there um <laughs> you know like there's just this there's this fun like piratey sort of energy that that you get and it's like you know they're really just starting to tease you with it at that point it's starting everyone's got together and um you're sort of getting all that energy between the the team uh and then all of a sudden it's like hey you know what was fun that we just got done telling you guys about is all this pirate and ship stuff it's so good right you guys love that well how about we just take it all away and throw them into a desert would you like that is that is that good for you and so that's the part that really gets me. It's like it's you just get done with all this fun pirate stuff, and you're getting into it, and you're getting this taste and this excitement for pirating, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're just in a desert, and and the desert is kind of empty except for the fun. Like I'll admit, I mean, I love the introduction of Ace. Like that's a great time, and it's really exciting and interesting. But it it's I think the other issue that I have with it is it sort of very quickly throws the team into into an issue that I think they're not quite, we're not quite at a point. Like if you think about it in like a terms of like D and D it's the thing that we all very much enjoy. It feels like at this point, they're like a level three, they're like all level three maybe. And it's like, Oh, Hey, all you level three people, let's go deal with some political socioeconomic issues for a long time. And the fights there are great. I cannot deny that the fights there are awesome and a lot of fun. But I just, I just can't get over how quickly you were not pirating into the storyline. If that sort of makes sense. And I guess that's fair. No. That, that that is a, a a fine look at it. Um, uh, I do want to stress that it is thirty eight ish episodes out of a thousand. Um, you know, it is a very small percentage of time that we're spending in Alabasta, but it does, like Nathan talked about early on, was it establishes the world being so vast, and it does a very good job of, of yes, the, the, in the desert parts are, are very boring, and some interesting stuff happens, but, like, when they get to Crocodile's base like that's when everything ramps up and it's solid from there until the end of the arc i do think that's one of the things that also makes alabasta to to add to austin's point as much as i do love this show the this part of the show um i think that is the one thing that kind of makes it feel so long is that it's bracketed you can because of the entrance of vivi nefetari who is the like I realize we didn't actually talk about her, but Vivi Nefetari is the like daughter of the king, the ruler of the Alabasta Kingdom, and he she is off on a on a like solo socioeconomic mission to try and um, show the evil of this guy named Crocodile, who is. Uh, um, an important social figure both in the world and also for her specific island for her country he is this very important guy who is uh, who, who she's found out is evil and is going to go do this thing and because she's introduced at the beginning so you have a reason for them to get to alabasta it makes it feel so much longer than it actually is because you're not in alabasta until that last like 35 40 episodes mm -hmm. and then there's so much that they do to try and build that world uh but before that point up to that point that it does kind of feel like it's dragging along just because of vivi being there and i think uh i think it's fair to say and I, I'll, I'll ask you guys if you also think this but i think it's fair to say that the payoff for vivi is almost not worth it when you get to kind of the end of the storyline because they build her up and make her a part of the crew and they they find such a nice place for her to fit in at uh throughout the rest of the story you you could easily see her be a part of the crew and you get to the end of that storyline and she's like no actually i have to stay here and do my job as princess uh and 
and I think they do a really good job of making it worthwhile, but I think it's, I think that's another part of why you kind of feel like uh, Alabasta can drag on is because you do all this and it's all surrounding this one character. And up to this point in the show, when they've done a large story arc around a character, that character has then joined the crew. And instead of giving Vivi this character he have fallen in love with over the last 90 episodes from uh, the exit of Reverse Mountain and uh, all throughout the beginning of the Broke Works Cactus Island, instead of getting her, you turn around and get um, uh, Nico Robin, who you then have to spend the next story arcs getting to know and trust and fall in love with. And so I want, I, I, I think it would be fair to say that that's another really big part of why it's so hard to um, just fully love it because you just spent, you know, all this time and it felt like the payoff just wasn't worth it because here's Vivi, this character who's awesome and Kadu, her magic giant duck runner <laughs> and, and neither of them joined the crew. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, I think the payoff is worth it because Vivi never wanted to be a pirate. Like she was the princess. Um, think like Princess Leia. Like she joined the resistance to stop this evil organization. Um, but like she just she became a pirate to figure out what's going on with her country. Um, you know, going to Alabasta, getting to Alabasta, and saving Alabasta has been her whole deal and i think if they had continued on with her they wouldn't have had much to do as a character that's not to say vivi's a bad character she's great i like vivi but i think they just did her whole character arc in the course of the the series like in over the course of the alabasta saga um you know because when we first meet her like she is she starts out as a villain um and then turns out to be you know a villain in disguise and then becomes you know crewmate and friend and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um but i just don't think um uh i just don't think that vivi would have been as solid of a character as robin ends up becoming that's fair and yeah. and I think part of that is, like you said, because of her story arc was very much about Alabasta, where everybody else's, for lack of a better phrase, is more self-centered on their story arcs. Um, and Nico Robin does a very good job of blending that self-centered desire and also team-oriented um, goals for her for her story arc. I think now, I think they do a good job with that. Remind me. Um... Are they introduced? I, you may have said this already, but are they introduced at the same time? I don't quite remember. Or is Nico Robin pretty well thrown in towards the end of that whole story arc? Um, Nico she, Robin is introduced like three episodes after that, isn't she? She shows up on their ship on her own. Yeah, mm, that's right. Yep. Um, so there is the first part of the Alabasta saga is what's called whiskey or is called Reverse Mountain. Um, this is a part I had never seen because it was um, combined into three. Ep- from, it combined three episodes into one for the f- four kids when I saw it when I was you know a, a young four lad. Kids. Yeah, when I was four <laughs> kids. Um, but we're introduced to Vivi. Then they go to Whiskey Peak, where the Straw Hats learn, you know, Vivi's, you know, a princess. And they're asked by her butler uh, slash captain of the guard to escort her to Alabasta. Um, and then Nico Robin appears and kills the butler and slash uh, bodyguard. Uh, and then Robin's like, hey, I know your faces, but don't mind me. I'm just here for fun. <laughs> Um, and then it's a constant, like, we'll call her a threat. She doesn't actually hurt any of the straw hats. She's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, she definitely hurts other people. <laughs> yeah. um, she uh, bitch slaps Tashigi so hard that Tashigi breaks down, which is pretty great. Yeah, that is pretty great. Um, okay, but... so yeah, so they do sort of that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm trying to think to your point that you, you mentioned about, like, us going through with the princess and then then immediately being thrown in with another character. I don't know if that ever really bothered me so much um, 
while watching through Alabasta, but I, I didn't ever think about it, that up to that point that every member, everybody we've kind of been introduced to became a party member. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, to use another parlance of the D&D games we're so uh, um, fond of, like, <laughs> yeah, this this person did become a party member, this person became a party member, this person came, became a party member, even... Throughout the time that Vivi was there, you're also introduced to another party member, which is Tony Tony Chopper, mm-hmm. um, who, uh, like I said earlier, is is one of probably one of the best parts of the show for me. Sometimes is is the like, <laughs> he's just so cute. He's just so cute, and I think my favorite part of him is the amount of times that he could use shock and awe to get people to do what he wants when he's standing there screaming but because he is so because of the way that they build his character storyline he doesn't do it so um you know tony tony chopper is um is a zoan type devil fruit power user and zoan type literally just means you can transform from one thing to another it's usually used for people who can transform into animals. Um, so it's like humans that transform into animals and do other things. But he has eaten the human human fruit. <laughs> and so he's a reindeer who can walk and talk like a human and, and can transform. And so there, it, so he has this big, like eight foot tall human form that he can transform into, but he just can never do it because after he ate the fruit, he has become this um he he he's become this monster and when he's introduced to the island that he resides on at the beginning everybody thinks he's a monster and they treat him that way and he goes through some ptsd as he works through that after he's been found shot and injured chased away by the townsfolk of the island that he lives on uh tony tony chopper runs into a man named dr hero who takes care of him and shows him how to be a doctor uh sort of um and shows him how good the world can be oh um, dr hero the quack the best a doctor adjacent doctor yeah. adjacent i think is fair so, um, since we're getting into Tony's backstory, um, when we get to their island, Nami is sick, and they don't have a doctor. And so they get to this island that doesn't have doctors, except for a crazy old witch, quote-unquote, um, who is Dr. Correa. Um, but I love the Drum Island arc because it just talks about, like, this king, Wapple, he is horrible. He either killed or banished all but 22 doctors in his entire kingdom. Um, And he took 20 of them and just, they became the 20 MDs. Um, And they're his personal doctors. And if somebody needed a doctor, they had to beg Wapple for it. Um, And that's just so fucked up, but it's so interesting in a way to control your people. Um, But Dr. Hiraluk or Dr. Hurea are both, like, free doctors, but Hiraluk is bad. Like, he is not a competent doctor. Um, and But Dr. Hurea is great. Like, she can heal just about anything. Um, But Hiraluk teaches Chopper how to be... Uh, how to one be a man and, and just take responsibility for yeah I look like a freak but I'm okay with that um, you know but also be um, excited and passionate about you know doing what you're doing even though yeah. you're awful at it yeah yeah I I do want to say before we go too much further the the best part of the Doctor Here Look storyline is um, this guy meets Tony Tony Chopper and you know chopper has been shot by the townsfolk who just see basically a yeti in the woods and start freaking out uh, and so they take their guns and they chase him down into the the deep of the woods and dr Hirelook comes to try and help chopper uh help mend him back to health and chopper like hits him really hard and and gets up and starts to run away because he, he's still an animal he can think like a human and he can process and walk like a human but he is still relying mostly on these animal instincts and you know he's just been hurt and this human comes and tries to help him and he like beats dr here look away and dr here look takes off all of his clothes and says i'm not gonna hurt you 
let me help you. <laughs> and it's the best way to try and describe this character that, you know, helps bring this character who's who's just a great source of levity and sincerity and, and innocence to the rest of the show. It gives you such a good um, starting point to say like, oh, yeah, that's why is because his, you know, his his adopted father stood naked in front of him for the first time that they met to be, you know, connected. Um, yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. That's just my no. favorite part of that show. Yeah, it is, it is, it is my favorite favorite part too. Um, but Hero Luck is he's dying. Um, he has a terminal illness, and um, he tries to to get Chopper to go away, and um, because he just he doesn't want Chopper to worry when he dies. Um, but eventually, Chopper hears about a miracle mushroom and just gets the shit kicked out of him looking for this mushroom to save his adopted dad and he brings it to him and Dr. Hiroluck is so happy that he found this mushroom and they make it together and they make the medicine and he takes it and Dr. Korea comes in and she's like what did you or comes in and um, Dr. Hiroluck has gone to go do something um, and Chopper is like don't worry he took medicine it's okay and points it and there's a skull and crossbones symbol oh. which he was taught meant freedom and pirates and good but what it was is it was a poison mushroom. And so Dr. Hiroluck took the poison mushroom, took the poison mushroom medicine because his son made it for him because he knew he didn't have time at all. Wow. Um, but he was just so touched that Chopper wanted to be a doctor and wanted to heal him. Um, but the... Uh, Hiroluck finds out through rumors that the 20 MDs have been, they've all gotten sick, like that they're, they're all bad up. And so he goes up to the castle to do his doctorly duty. Um, and it turns out to be a trap. And he just laughs and says, I'm so glad that the doctors are okay. And then dies. Wow. Um, like it's, we talked about this last time, like that One Piece character backstories are in tense mm -hmm. but this is honestly like either the second or third like most intense backstory for a character in the series yeah yeah um, i that's uh which you know uh, i i think we'll talk about one of the most intense ones in whatever time we talk about it next but that that is one of those things that they do with one piece that always i i think again to continue with the point that i want to try and make about this uh builds the world so well you know they take five or six episodes to tell a character's story uh, and over the course of that they cover all of these really unique things um, and um, I, I don't know I, I just think that's something that I like yes um, the, the fact that they spend the time to tell the characters backstories is so important because it tells us how the characters where they're coming from um, you know, we get with Chopper, like, after Hero Luck dies, like, Chopper goes on a fucking rampage at the castle, um, and he's stopped by the captain of the guard who's just like, your dad was here, He's he died smiling, he said, go home, because he doesn't want you to die. Um, and, like, it's just, it's gut-riching, because Chopper was like, nine or ten years old when this happened mm -hmm. like just very young and so he goes to dr correa um and she's just like i want to be a doctor i want to be a real doctor and i want to save everybody from every disease um and correa just laughs at him until finally she gives in and sees that he is determined to be the doctor that will save everybody mm -hmm. um and that is just that's so good um you know, we get, like, with Vivi's backstory, um, we don't go into it as much, but we do get to see, like, she wasn't just, like, a prim and proper princess. Like, she was a tomboy who got along with these, you know, commoner kids, um, and but, like, still became a very solid person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which, uh, which I, um, I think is a really good thing to show as the rest think that's that that tomboy prim proper thing also lends itself to the impact that she has 
for a lot of the more important characters that uh, important to the government's situation um, that you see in some of her backstory, um, which, you know, it lends itself to a lot of the backstory that the, the, the world building that's also told in, in that story arc about, you know, the world government, the Royal families, all these other things uh, is told through a really fun light of that prim and proper, that, that, that prim and proper tomboy girl, Vivi Nefetari. Um, the the thing about this whole saga is there's so many great little things. Yeah, it's a little long, but there's so many great little things. Like there's two episodes dedicated to we're talking about characters coming back, but Kobe and Helmeppo, like the just the fuck all Helmeppo, um, they get two episodes where they're trained by this guy named uh, Garp, who is a Navy Vice Admiral, um, and he takes the two of them, these just spindly little nobodies, and just says, all right, I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to make you into real Marines. Um, and like, it's just so cool to see that, you know, Kobe, who was with the party in the very first couple of episodes, is still there, like he's still thought about by the world. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that those two episodes where they introduced Garp were also in here because he's another one that is, um, that is very good. Yeah, he becomes very important later on. Yeah, <laughs> Garp, you giant ass. Which <laughs> um, we'll talk about later, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do. We did skip over Whiskey Peak, um, which is the the second arc in Alabasta. It's like four episodes long, but it has one of my favorite Zorro moments of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, when they get to Whiskey Peak, like they're introduced, like um, they come to the town and they're all like, welcome pirates. We love you. We think you're cool. And they give them all a bunch of food and a bunch of booze and um, everybody gets drunk. And um, um, everybody except for Zorro and Nami, um, because they think, hmm, something's not right. Well, it turns out the inhabitants of Whiskey Peak are all bounty hunters. Um, they are a part of the Baroque Works syndicate. Um, and Baroque Works is like this big overarching villain for most of the, the Alabasta arc. Um, but Zorro, um, like the, the main people are talking about like, yeah, we'll, we'll put the straw hats, like, you know, we'll put them, you know, here, here, there. And Zorro is sitting on top of a building with his sword like out. And he's just like, hey, fuckers, let's oh. go. Um, and he takes out all 100 bounty hunters alone. And it's just so cool to see Zoro just tearing into people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and like, that's where we get introduced to like Vivi's like alternate identity and her um, other people. Like, the uh, we're introduced to the Baroque Works system of like hierarchy, which is called um, officer agents. And so everybody has a number associated with them. Like for Vivi, she was um, Miss Wednesday, and her partner was Mr. Nine. Um, you know, they're just, the women are named after diff- days of the week, or like holidays, and men are named after numbers. And that's just super fun. I love that idea. Yeah. Um, but like, that is such a cool Zorro part where he's just like, hey, I've heard of Baroque Works before. They wanted me to uh, be in there, but I wouldn't join them. Unless I was your boss. <laughs> and it's just such a badass line from Zorro. But is is any of this on the Alabasta continent? I don't remember. No, none of this conversation or anything. This is on Whiskey Peak. Like, this is the very early part of this saga. They, yet again, the best parts of the Alabasta arc are whenever we're not in Alabasta. Um... But yeah, like I, Whiskey Peak doesn't have a whole lot that's got like introductions for characters, but I just, I wanted to make sure that that part was like chef's kiss. Like that is Mm -hmm. one of the best early Zorro moments. Um, But going to Baroque Works, um, there are a bunch of agents, um, but what, who was your favorite Baroque Works agent numbered or otherwise? Uh, Uh, I think, yeah, I think Nathan Um, had a very, very strong opinion. Yeah, Mr. Two, hands down. So you're introduced to these, you know, uh, numbered agents, these, these, you know, hierarchy officer agents that are the best of the best. And they're all paired up except for one character, and his name is Mr. Two, 
Um, Bonclay. And, yeah, Mr. Bonclay is the best character in the show. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I, I, I can be proven wrong on this, but I will always love him so much because his whole story arc starts as this guy who just is, a, he's a ballerina, right? Like he's dressed weird. He's got this goose costume around his like whole body. He's got these weird dancing shoes and you know, this, this unique fighting style where he's basically just like ballet, like martial arts kicking butt. And you, you see this huge character that's just larger than life. And he's supposed to be with the bad guys. And when you're first introduced to him, he is accidentally just dumped on the straw hats ship. And the only reason why you find out that he's a bad guy is because you find out that he has this devil fruit power that lets him copy faces and body shapes of anybody who he touches with one hand and he can cancel out what his face looks like with the other hand he can change what his face looks like with the other hand and it's it's such a bizarre thing because you he meets the straw hats and just instantly they're friends they're talking they're hanging out and then before you know it they're in alabasta he is as a part of the Baroque works, trying to tear down the Alabasta kingdom. And he's just this bad guy for, you know, uh, 20 episodes. He goes from this really cool, really fun, you know, buddy to this bad character. And after all of that's done, um, he ends up helping the Straw Hats escape the Alabasta Kingdom that is now that at that point was is surrounded by Marines. He sacrifices he and his whole crew sacrifice themselves so the Straw Hats can ex- can escape. And it's one of the most beautiful character story arcs that I honestly think um, is in all of One Piece. And you know I, I'll, I'll reiterate that again later because he is reintroduced later on in the series. Um, but you know, he's just so much fun throughout all of that. Um, yeah, you know, I think, uh, I think I probably have to go with him as well. Um, as one of my favorites, uh, because if, if I remember correctly too, he also like is insane. He like kicks their asses without like much of a difficulty, right? Like, yeah, he kicks when, the when shit out of to- Usopp and, uh, and Karu, like just full on just like beats the shit out of them normally when one piece introduces like a joke character like later on we get the the monkeys that they introduce um and the monkeys are like scary and they kind of beat them a little they kind of fight a little bit but for the most part when one piece like introduces a joke character the team just like just destroys them no remorse no difficulty at all like a joke character just gets destroyed um, at least in the early sections like this. But then he gets introduced and you're like, oh, well, this is going to be like a fun, like they beat him up and, you know, maybe he comes back around or whatever. And then he just is like, he just is so powerful versus them. And like the jokey nature of his character is sort of uh, the dichotomy that, that they had, they don't really mess with up until that point that I remember at least. Um, I feel like he's one of the first like joke characters that ends up being like really, really strong, mm-hmm. and definitely not the last. Yeah. Can't wait until we can talk about Eva. <laughs> um, yeah, he, Mister Two, is very, very good. Um, Mister Two got a genuine chuckle out of me rewatching it this time because I forgot. Um, because again, I watched this censored. Um, when he turns into Nami, um, he uh, full on just flashes everybody huh. uh, that is present, um, and I just I nearly sped out my drink because I did not realize that was coming. Because um, like when I saw it, like in the edited dub, like it was just like he just transforms into the faces. Nope. Um, like he just like KOs um uh Chopper, Usopp, and Luffy. Huh. Um, which is very, very good. Yeah, I think uh, I think he does that because someone asks if it's a full body thing and he goes to prove it and 
like it's it's one of those very funny things where Nami doesn't get upset about it because of anything other than no one's paying her for it. Yes. And and that's her that's her problem with the situation. And that's one of those things that is like a a, a very funny running joke that they do about just like um <laughs> on a you know uh, on a weird note. It's it's a very funny thing that's that like the creator did with this idea of just like being confident in who you are and proud of your body that like, I don't even think they meant to, but it is one of those things that's just like, Oh, I'm not getting paid for that. So no, you can't see it. Uh Yeah. Uh, And, and it's just very funny. That is that's supported at the very end of the arc when um, the straw hats and Vivi's dad creepily um, are taking a bath um, and they go over the wall and uh, Nami's like, all right, uh, it's like 500,000 berries uh, for for a site. And she just takes her towel off and just says, happiness punch. And like all of them just get the fucking, <laughs> like just all knocked out. <laughs> and it's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, the worst part about that is Vivi's dad starts that conversation. It, it, yeah, it is. It is the worst part of that is that it is Vivi's dad who is just the driving force behind it. I hate it. I hate um, it a lot. Yeah, but I think like I love Mister Two. I think probably my favorite officer, um, if we're counting him, um, is Mister Zero, i.e., mm-hmm. Crocodile, because um, Crocodile is just a bastard he is just a a the villain's villain like we talked about how arlong was the worst like was a great villain because he was just he was so evil but like crocodile is just that but just he is the the old veteran who's just tired of pirate shit like he just i want to rule a country i want this weapon to destroy like a a, a landmass. Like, I don't want to be just a regular pirate anymore. Um, and he is the first villain to actually beat Luffy, not once, but twice. <laughs> um, like, the first time, like, he and Luffy fight, and Crocodile's power is the sand sand fruit. Um, and so his body is literally sand, and they fight in the desert. And so Luffy can't do shit to him. Um, and then, uh, in the end, like Luffy uh, spills some water on him by accident because it just gets broken, and Luffy realizes, "Oh, hey, if I wet sand, I can actually punch him." Uh-huh. Um, and so the second time they fight, Luffy comes in with a giant barrel, a la like Mario Sunshine, and just sprays water <laughs> all over Crocodile, and then just starts beating the shit out of him. Um, yeah. And it's very good until Luffy runs out of water, and Crocodile just is just takes him out yeah how does he get back oh yes that's another really fun part of that is that he goes from you know hitting him with water to using his own blood in the final confrontation with crocodile he uses his own blood to start landing those punches um man that's such a good fight scene mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, um, but we learn that Crocodile had hired Robin um, to be a translator for the Poneglyph um, that was found in Alabasta because it was supposedly holding this, uh, the how to find this ancient weapon called Pluton. Um, and Pluton is, um, the world government like is afraid of this weapon. Um, and Robin doesn't find out, like, um, like Robin lies to Crocodile and she's just like, uh, you know, this Poneglyph doesn't have anything on it. It's just, you know, history. Um, and Crocodile's like, you're fucking lying to me. <laughs> um, and like, that's so interesting that like, there's the lore of the Poneglyphs and like Crocodile knew about it, but he couldn't read it. He had to find somebody who could. Um, and like, that's such a cool, like the reason why Robin is hanging out is not because she's a monster, it's because she just wanted to read the Poneglyph. Yeah. Which is, it's such a unique way to bring two characters together that I think one piece does a really good job of, of creating this unique pairing, um, which, which is very much shown in the, the, the structure 
of the I guess just the the entirety of the Baroque works agents setup is is that idea of just unique pairings. Mm-hmm. Two people that would not make sense together that actually do make a lot of sense, like um like Mr. Three and <laughs> Miss Golden Week. Yes, Miss Golden Week. I kept thinking Miss Christmas or All Sunday, and I was like, no, that's Nico Robin and the creepy mole lady. <laughs> and the creepy mole lady who has just the uh, weirdest devil fruit powers. Um just the worst sound of her voice of all people in the yeah. show. I I do agree. Um, but it, it's interesting. We didn't talk about uh, Mr. Three or Miss Golden Week, um, but they are also in a section that was not in the um, the four kids dub. Um, they just really? completely skipped Little Garden, like just whole hog, just went from drum or went from Whiskey Pete to Drum Island. Um, and so we didn't get anything about the giants. We didn't get anything about Mr. Three. Um, we didn't find out what happens to Mr. Five and Miss, uh, Valentine. Um, like just so like that there's a gap. Um, but the most, the biggest reason is because of violence. Um, because the two giants that are in little garden, um, literally decapitate a dinosaur in like the first 10 minutes. (laughs) Like just whole hog, like just yeah, and that's that's like the entirety of um, like Zoro and Sanji's bit is they are trying to hunt down animals. Mm-hmm. So I guess that makes sense. <laughs> that's and, such a silly thing, though. Yeah, and it's it's the goofiest thing in the world because like that's also the where Zoro and Sanji's like arguing for the rest of the series comes from. And so like coming into uh, like uh, Alabasta, like as a kid, I was just like, why are they fighting? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, did something happen? Did I miss something? And now I see like, it's literally, they just got in a competition about getting food and they started bickering for the rest of the series. Yeah. I, I was trying to think about that as, Something came, oh, uh, as I got to the part that I'm in, uh, and I was like, why did this start? But no, you're right, it is definitely that, that who can get a bigger piece of food kind of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, with I guess the last few minutes here, I do want to kind of take a break, but uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I don't, we don't have to end anytime soon, but um, one thing I do want to make sure we talk about that's so well done is the development of the government structure and the explanation of the balances of powers that they talk about and the disruptions, because I don't think they talk about dragon again at this point in the storyline. I don't think he comes back up until after. Yeah. He gets referenced in water seven. Yeah. I was going to say not, not again until after any's lobby, right. Is when he's referenced. So, uh, they don't really talk about the revolution, but they do talk about the structure of the royal families, these these kingdom structures and this kingdom alliance, this almost um, uh, not United Nations, but allied nations from, you know, after the First World War with Woodrow Wilson level, you, you know, it looks like it's a good peace treaty setup. But if you really boil it all down, there's all of these things that are backwards and twisted around and double deals that make things way more tenuous in the long run because of the way that it's set up. It, the, the Alabasta Kingdom, the Alabasta Saga creates um, the basis for all of these structures. And one of the, the big things that they talk about, I don't remember if they talk about the four emperors at that point. But they do talk about the warlords, which is why Crocodile is introduced. Um, And um, one of the other things that One Piece introduces in the Alabasta Kingdom story arc is uh, some more information about the world government. They really flesh that out in the next couple of story arcs, but one of the big ones is um, they talk about how the kingdoms are... There's this united nations basically that is still ruled over by the world government so you have all of these like 
kingdoms that are in peace treaties and agreements, and they meet at the summit every year and all of these different things, but they still have to answer to the world government, which is in charge of the Navy and all of these other things. And they flesh out some more of that information of this shady world government ruling over everything else through the eyes of, you know, what is a warlord? Well, Crocodile's a warlord. He's basically a pirate who's allowed to be a pirate for the world government at their beck and call. Uh, and there are repercussions if a pirate goes against those things. And, uh, and, and it fleshes out all of this other information that kind of builds up the world. But it starts off by introducing these warlords and say, and it starts by trying to describe how strong and powerful these guys are just to watch them be. Uh, and, and it does such a good job by fleshing that out with the beating Luffy two times. And then, you know, it, it sets a precedent to show Luffy is actually a very powerful character as you move forward, which is just fun. But that's one of the other things that I really like um, is, is this introduction to the world government as it stands and, and all of these structures and, and, and very important institutions that seem like they're good, but then it shows how evil they can be mm. with like Wapple and Crocodile is taking over the Alabasta kingdom because of wanting a wanting to stop being a pirate but still wanting to do whatever he wants. Um and 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 it still also shows how good those things can be by showing, you know, um Vivi's dad, what's his name? Uh Cobra. Cobra Nefitari, which is such a badass name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and also, like with the Marines, um, we see um, uh, our, our boy Smoker comes back um, in the Alabasta saga. Smoker and Tashigi have been chasing Luffy since the end of the last saga. Um, and Smoker uh, just basically blatantly tells Tashigi, all right, you have a choice here. You can either help the citizens or you can help the Straw Hats uh, or, you could, or you could capture the Straw Hats. Make the choice. Um, and so, like, it shows, like, Smoker cares about the people um, more than he cares about making sure that Luffy, his prey, is under his thumb. Um, like, that just further solidifies him as a good character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he comes back, and he and Tashigi both get promoted because Crocodile gets taken down. And he's just like, no, the Straw Hats are the one that beat Crocodile. I didn't do shit. Um, my subordinate is crying because of sh- how useless she feels. Like, we didn't do anything. Uh-huh. And the government is like, no, 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 we're going to fully promote you. Like, you're you're going to be a Commodore now. And he's just like, go to hell. Uh-huh. Like, physically, like, says go to hell and hangs up the transponder snail. Wow. He's such a badass. <sighs> what a good character. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He is another one that's really fascinating because of the ways that they'll be like, oh, so I, I mean, I guess this isn't that important, but but you know the the way that they introduce Smoker is he's one of the first Logia type users that like his whole body is one element, uh, and so you can't hit him be- because of that, mm-hmm. um, and they just use him as such a fun like touchstone at so many different points for Luffy. And it's really funny because he's one of the characters that I think Luffy disrespects the most, but (laughs) also he's one of the only characters Luffy will hands down remember at a moment's notice. And it's, it's one of those things that's so funny about Luffy because they'll be sitting there and they'll talk to this, this character that he didn't fight. He didn't have any interaction with, or he had lots of interactions with, but he never fight. He never fought Mm -hmm. or they were just like very much like the viewer would see them. These side characters that, you know, Oh, Oh, uh, um, you're, Oh, this one person from this one episode from way back when, and Luffy will just be like, I don't fucking know who you are. Um, and, uh, and and Smoker is one of those really unique characters that I'm excited to see where he goes as, as the show continues on because 
he's just constantly used as a touchstone for Luffy and the crew as like a, oh, yeah, Smoker, that guy who almost stopped us from starting this whole adventure. Um, yeah, we can, we, we can interact with him again. One of my favorite interactions with him and Luffy um, is um, when Smoker first arrives, he sees Luffy's brother Ace, who is an also famous pirate. And Smoker is just like, I'm a Marine. I'm sorry. I got to bring you in. I don't care if you're not doing anything bad here. And Luffy jet or uh, Gum Gum rockets himself into the restaurant that they're in, crashes Ace and Smoker through like six walls. Uh-huh. And then Smoker proceeds to walk to Luffy and uh, is just like, I finally found you. And Luffy's just eating. Um, and it takes like a minute for Luffy to register that Smoker's there. And then he books it. Uh-huh. Like he just is genuinely afraid of Smoker, which is so good. <laughs> Uh, and which also brings in some really funny. I mean, Austin always talks about the, um, and I mean, I guess you can reiterate this, but the the continuity errors with how <laughs> water affects <laughs> these devil fruit users. Yeah, and it's just one of those really funny continuity errors of Ace and Smoker both have those Logia type devil fruit powers, so like they can't be hit, but he knocks them through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I think that I think that uh they do like to play fast and loose with their um their sort of what what things can touch things issues, but <laughs> um and a lot of that is usually it is if a Lokia type person is is made contact with it is either A for comedic effect or B to reveal a certain effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I really think, like, in a combat situation, um, that is ever um, a major continuity break. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not like it's ever used in a battle where stuff like matters and mm-hmm. stuff in, in that way. Yeah. So I would. Yeah, I would also argue this is not, and this is, um, I guess, something that might. We can talk about later. We can rebring up later because I, I, I would almost argue that it's not a continuity error so much as just a an unintentional hint at something that's much more um, prevalent later on in the series. Um, and I guess I'll just say, like, I, I don't, I don't think it was a, um, I like continuity error. I think it's safe to say that Luffy's will. Mm-hmm. Uh, hinting at AJ on this one, his will to eat at that moment far outweighed whatever <laughs> was in his way. <laughs> and yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, but the um, the other th- major thing that is introduced that is a constant threat for Luffy is it a material called Sea Prism Stone. Um, and it is basically a, a metallic substance from undersea that has the same effect as being underwater. Um, and so, like, Luffy and Smoker, both being Devil Fruit users, they get locked in a cage later on that they can't get out of. Um, and, like, that cage eventually floods, and so, like, Luffy has to basically yell at his crew, and he's just like, Save Smoker, because he can't swim! And the crew is just like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's a Marine. And Luffy's like, just do it. <laughs> um, and it's so good. Well, um, we're going pretty strong here. Do we want to do some wrapping up on Alabaster? Do we want to go ahead and say we'll we'll yeah. do a second episode to sort of finish talking about what, what all happened? I- I will say, I think we're probably at a good point where we could end. Um, there's a lot of really fun touchstone parts. I mean, I feel like we're at a good part where we can end. But I want to know, is there anything that we've said, Austin, that may have changed your mind or um, shown you that like it can still be fun, made you want to go back and rewatch some of this stuff? Is there anything like that, or are you still staunchly opposed? I think I'm still... Uh, I think I'm still pretty opposed, honestly. Like, um, I, I definitely see the merit uh in what is introduced in in this arc but i still stand by that i think it could have been introduced in a better manner um 
I think we could have done basically everything we've done here without them being trapped on an on a sandy beach island. <laughs> um, you know, w- w- with without getting rid of all the pirating for thirty episodes, like I, I I like what was introduced here, and you're absolutely right that like this this arc really I think sets the groundwork for what the whole show um is kind of about in the long run um but i think it i I still think i would prefer it to have been done um in a manner that was not this if that makes sense no okay that's fair um yeah i i did a lot of talking and so i just feel like i've i've said everything i can say without you know, just reiterating. So yeah. I'm, I still stand by it. I think that it, I'm more okay with the idea of, oh, it is still really long and maybe it could have been done differently, but I, I still always will say it's one of my favorite ones. Um, AJ, what about you? Where do you stand? Uh, for me, I, uh, having just rewatched through Alabasta, I probably will not watch it again, but, there is so much that is important and so much that is introduced that I will tell people from now on, either um, watch the movie episode of Alabasta mm. or um, watch the arc. Because it's just, there's so much that's introduced there that is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the the characters and the Seven Warlords system getting explained more, because we learned about it with Dracul Mihawk, but like, that was it. Like that was him, and that was a name. But like, um, it's just uh, Alabasta is is a a very important beginning arc um, for the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, even um, a thousand episodes or a thousand chapters, almost a thousand episodes in, it is still resonating. Like there is still stuff that they did in this arc that is resonating with what is going on with the current stuff. Right. Um, like we are at episode, I think nine, a nine seventy seven is the episode arc or current most recent episode. Um, and so 60 or 900 episodes prior to it's, Something is still important, and I think that's that's a mark of a very well done story. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree, and I think that's I think that's why one of the reasons why I love it, and I I guess one of the last things that I want to touch on is, uh, and I wrote it down. I I just meant to say it earlier. I think one of the best things about um uh, about the story arcs that are brought up that are still continued, they they create a lasting effect that they're almost trying to reconcile and it's like it um one of the things that i really like about one piece uh here i guess is my last thing is um it leaves the crew more and more incentives to finish their journey um and it gives them more reasons to push through those incentives uh at the very beginning when they get off of reverse mountain they meet this uh, this gigantic whale named Laboon. Uh, and Laboon is referenced at least two more times that I've noticed. Um, and and it's one of those things. It's just like, it's not that big of a deal. Their touchstone references, well, one's kind of a big deal, but their touchstone references to say like, yeah, here's just this really tiny character, but they build a whole story out of it. They, they create a whole tale that's Laboon. very fun and unique. Laboon and Crocus, um, the guy that is taking care of Laboon. Crocus is referenced again and again um, as being an important touchstone character. Um, and yeah, that's, I'm right there with you. I just got through the part where Laboon is referenced again, and I was just like, holy shit, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> uh, but it's great. One Piece is good. I I love talking about it. Um, but we're now that we're out of Alabasta, we're going to enter into probably my least favorite arc. Um, because it drags a bit at the end, but it's still very good. And, uh, Skypea? What? Skypea. Uh, the, yeah, we'll get into it next time. Um, but <laughs> the... Um, yeah. Um, 
the beginning of Skypea is great with Mocktown, and then the ending of Skypea is great with everything that happens there. Um, but that just gives our listening audience more to more to wonder. Do we want to um, do we want to go ahead and say now we might do two episodes on Skypea? Do we think it'll take that much? Or? Oh no, I don't think it will. Okay. Um, no, I think uh, Water Seven might take two episodes. Mm-hmm. Two episodes for sure. But um, I think the the Sky Island saga, no, is because um, a good half of the Sky Island saga is just filler. Okay. No, that's not fair. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We'll get there. We can't can't argue now about that. (laughs) (laughs) You have to come back next time, suckers. Yep. Um, but thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. And uh, hope you enjoyed the first episode. Uh, give us a like um, and tell your friends. Tell your mom. Yep. Tell your friend's mom. Don't tell my mom, though. <laughs> she won't like this. Yeah, yeah, she won't. She won't care much for it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.